Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the reverber in chief over there. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? It's my Eddie Murphy laugh. <laughs> That's what that was? <laughs> Something like that, or a frog. I'm not sure. Oh, my goodness. What's your What's... favorite Eddie Murphy movie of all time? Oh, my favorite Eddie Murphy movie of all time. Um, I mean, Beverly Hills Cop is up there. See, now, when, when we count eddie murphy movies are we talking early because I, I think when what all you're it. saying to me i'm talking donkey okay dr right, little coming to america the whole gauntlet so many people my age would say shrek i can't do that honestly oh man it it's got to be coming to america first one that was the first one where i was like the guy from shrek is like the greatest comedian I've ever seen. <laughs> Coming to America has got to be mine. I've seen yeah. that movie like 650 times in my life. I can quote it up and down. I literally have a picture of uh, uh, sexual chocolate down, uh, down by my drums. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to say that. But, I mean, Donkey is like, you know, might be one of his most defining characters. But, but you know, Mike Myers and Shrek, like you got to if you're going to go, this is my favorite Eddie Murphy movie. You got to go a leading man role. Yeah, you know, of course, Beverly Hills Cop, though. Tough. Yeah, I mean, that might be places. like coming to America. Let me say this. Yeah. Coming to America, probably best movie, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Beverly Hills Cop might be the like peak Eddie yeah. Murphy. Yeah, because the Axel Foley is like that's That's Eddie Murphy, <laughs> yeah. like to the T, you know? It, it was so funny. So when I was younger, he had all these movies that were like real stinkers. So like I kind of uh, came up at like a really bad time. But then don't you, you dare say boomerang. No, 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 no. Good shot right across the river here. No, no. See how I upset had, I like, just got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had. Uh, don't you dare uh, say distinguished gentleman. No, 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 no. <laughs> Way later than this. When oh, you okay. were having fun and, and being an adult, he started to put out like kids movies. Yes. That were like. Uh, right. That wasn't no cheaper by the dozen was Steve Martin. That was, it was Martin. a weird time where all of these guys were putting out like kids movies yeah. that were like kind of yeah. trash. He put out like, "Are we there yet?" Like, n like the first one, right? I think that I was, don't, no. I now or, isn't that Ice Cube? Or was that Ice Cube? There was one. <laughs> oh no, 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 Daddy Daycare. Oh that's right, that's that, it. That, yeah, that's like, it. Even as like a kid, I'm like, is this supposed to be funny? So. But your confusion is proof that every one of those dudes did a movie like that at that <laughs> yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. It is. They were following the chase model at the uh, time. Exactly. Be oh, Denny, I threw your intro way off track. Oh, what are you going to do now? Way off track. What are you going to well, do now? You know what throws the show off track and kind of puts it on track, not to borrow a, another uh, Benny Horowitz franchise over Tell here. Tell me. Tell me what. But it's this day music history. Boom. All right. What do you got? Well, it's pretty apropos because a lot of the conversations I've had in the last couple months have been about Taylor Swift. Oh. And, you know, a lot of locals she, she did three nights in Philly, three nights at MetLife. And I live between these places. And between the two, she's managed to sell probably about quarter million tickets in each. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people went, um, you know, and the word's been getting out. And a lot of the questions been like, why Taylor Swift as opposed to other artists? Why did she rise above? Why, you know, like, like what's so special about her besides for these amazing three and a half hour long shows, these flawless shows? Um, and on this day in 2017, 
Taylor Swift wipes clean her social media accounts. At this time, it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and her personal YouTube. And three days later, she begins posting video of a snake to tease her scathing song, Look What You Made Me Do, released uh, August 25th, a couple weeks later. So I think this is an indication. The reason I chose this as my this day is this is an indication of what I've been mentioning about Taylor Swift for a while, which is you don't get this big without just a series of good moves that, you know, and of course, good music, but things that like tie you to your fans and your fan base, create a narrative, create um, people rooting for you, maybe even people advocating for you. And she's had many situations that would uh, lend to that. So I think this is like part and parcel to like the Taylor Swift narrative and experience. There's been all these like things through the years that, you know, keep her on people's minds, uh, you know, keep her in the press and keep people on her side. And it's dangerous territory because every time you play it, it could go the wrong way on you. And that's where Taylor Swift deserves a lot of credit for being uh, culturally very wise and savvy, I would say. You know, I've been thinking about this summer of Taylor a lot and how we kind of got to this place. You know, we like do this podcast, but then also in like the cultural conversation, I think when you kind of start in like in like the 05 range and, and we kind of get these uh, these uh, what was that Carrie Underwood before he cheats and then we get a uh, uh, Beyonce, you know, and, and as that starts to become more popular, I think a blueprint was kind of put out of okay how you can run pop music with uh, a mostly female fan base uh what they're trying to hear so those those kind of they're kind of like the uh like 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 the chubby checkers of like the <laughs> of like the female pop sphere of like all right here's what you do for world domination and then taylor kind of saw this and it's like i'm kind of more in this country lane and then we go and we have uh 1989 and like that whole era in her more pop sphere and that's how you get to, um, I think, mostly white women just like flocking to stadiums across the country. I saw this this seems week. As and, a, it seems as if that's the case. And <laughs> we didn't put this in, in the rundown because this is kind of a hodgepodge today. Apparently, she turned down the 2024 Super Bowl. Too good for Roger Goodell. I love it. Smart. <laughs> Smart. You don't get involved. Yeah. When you're doing that well, it's like. I'm good. Nah, NFL. I'm fine. Fine on that. <laughs> fine on that. Yeah. Smart move, Taylor. Another smart move, but another smart move. Yeah. One day she'll do the halftime show, but that's probably you know after she. Has yeah, we're thinking. Yeah. yeah, we gotta wait for the decline. Yeah, she's and gonna then, do. <laughs> there's gonna be the decline and the comeback, and that's, that's when right. she's gonna do the halftime show. It's gonna be like 2046 or I something. I love it. And yeah. and and it's gonna be like Prince, and she's gonna like do that. It, there's gonna be rain. It's gonna be magical. Anyway, can't Kenny, wait. Can't Speaking wait. of magic, big, and I'm pretty sure that I've done this day in uh, New Jersey history, in this day in music history before, but on this day in 1986, Bon Jovi released Slippery One Wet, Ooh. peaked at number one in the U.S. chart, uh, selling over 28 million copies worldwide uh, with songs that you know you love, like You Give Love a Bad Name and Living on a Prayer. So this day, 86, big one. Also, very if, big. 
if, if I can double dip in the 80s a little bit here on this day in music history, two years earlier, Careless Whisper goes number one. So huge day for just 80s bangers on this day in music history. Man, you know, I've said many times before, you know, no diss to anybody else. But if there's a New Jersey artist or record up until a certain point of my life, I listen to the most it is a thousand percent slippery when wet. And I can say with complete clarity from my own anecdotal experience that living on a prayer is like borderline, like sweet Caroline territory for its strange impact throughout the world, not just us. Like I've been at bars all over Europe, like in Japan and Australia. And you're like, sure to still hear living on a prayer hear people go nuts try to hit that note and not <laughs> get there because that's the class that's the funniest thing to listen to at a bar for <laughs> a prayer is when he gets to the note listening to people try to get there and, and it's it's almost impossible but i i don't know man i love this record it stands up it's fun mm-hmm. and uh sometimes i don't think bon jovi i think bon jovi like rose above the 80s almost in a way when like these conversations about Oh, who's like the best cock rock band of all time? And people go into like Warren, Poison, and Skid Row. And you forget like Bon Jovi was in the mix and we're like way above and probably better, you know, and a little smarter at pop, certainly less edgy than these other bands. But I think they were maybe like the vanilla, the vanilla hair rock band. Of the the vanilla hair rock band. Little- and then. Their complete second life when I was in, in middle school in like the early 2000s was, I mean, you're talking selling out a week at a giant stadium. I mean, granted, he yeah. probably wasn't doing well. Like, actually, th- there was a point in like the mid 2000s where they were doing stadium tours like Taylor Swift types. And, and that's where you got to give him credit, because even someone like me, who at the time, I'm probably like a shitty punk rock kid who's like literally listening to, you know, only local bands who, who write hardcore breakdowns. And I hear, uh, it's my life on the radio and go like, yeah, it is. It is my life. Bond. Keep going. You know, I did it my way. Yeah. Like, and it kind of hypes you up. It's almost like, like Eminem, like, or something. You're you're like, yeah. Oh, fuck. You only have one chance. Um, So give him credit. You know, it's a good one. Oh, I could go on and on about that band. Transformative in my childhood. So, yeah. All right. Benny, let's get to uh, another 70s, 80s heartthrob that kind of got into a bit of a uh, mm. bit of hot water when it comes to the New York crowd this Don't week. Don't ask the mad dog. That's right. That's right. And we're going to hear from him in, in a little bit. <laughs> oh, we got it. We got the dog. Because I, you know, sometimes, you know, you got to pay homage to the people that gave you the platform. Sure, sure. Um, so... Anyway, Lionel Richie uh, performed Monday after he, he had to cancel a, a concert last minute over the weekend at Madison Square Garden. Uh, the singer was forced to postpone a scheduled New York City concert with Earth, Wind & Fire at Madison Square Garden. An hour after the show was supposed to begin, uh, the Grammy woman, Granny winner explained the cancellation was due to poor weather. The New York crowd, however, was not so happy, um, and nobody encapsulated a, a New York crowd more than my good buddy, the Mad Dog, Mr. Fur, uh, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Here's what he had to say on first take. Slim, as uh, he's keeping it off. Wait till you see, wait anybody till see you what see Lionel Richie? Anybody see what Lionel Richie did this weekend? Hello? 
Friday night, Lionel Richie played at TD Bank North. The weather this week in the New York area was absolutely glorious. Saturday, he was going to play Madison Square Garden. 19,000 people putting their life earnings to go to that event. 50th wedding anniversaries, mom and dad, grandpa, the whole nine yards. Did you know that Richie tweeted out an hour after the show was supposed to start with everybody in the garden that he couldn't make it? What? He had travel issues coming from Boston. Walk here. Wheels up. <laughs> go to Stephen A. Figure out a way to get here. At 10 o'clock at night on Saturday, with everybody having spent a fortune to get into the building, food, drinks, parking, or wherever to go, and he tweets at 9, 10 o'clock at night, I can't make it, but you can come back Monday, we'll make sure the ticket stands. What's well, a weekend? People travel in to see this. That is a complete, utter disgrace. He said he had travel issues. You know what you do? You leave TD back door. On Friday night, you're taking a cellar, you get your rear out of the garden, and you play. That is a joke. I can't believe <laughs> Yeah, so apparently, you, you know, because apparently you can just prop up a, an, an entire traveling company and just like... Well just, said. So, Christopher Mad Dog Russo, um, Radio Hall of Famer, so I oh, guess we yeah. could take a couple notes because of, of things sure. like that, but... I don't think he has a leg to stand on here because, quite frankly, my man's never done it. But the, the, the best my man has ever done at a live show is Barre. Granted, he had Francesa Connor and stuff like that. There's a big traveling company here. I don't think he has a leg to stand on with this argument. Uh, I disagree. Okay, let's do I it. disagree. Uh, I mean, well, here's the thing. First off, it's Mad Dog and it's the garden. Like, I think one of the reasons he took it so personally is he was almost assuredly getting text messages from people at the garden oh, waiting yeah. for Lionel Richie because that's his people. <laughs> like the demographic for that show is what? 40 to 70. Yeah. You know, old school. Like, so, you know, the proper 70s, 80s crowd. So, like, I'm sure he was getting texts from some angry 62 year old ladies he knows and stuff, you know, who were at that show came in from jersey for the night from new canaan got a room you know did the thing so like so i think this is where his fury like he makes a good point but then of course goes mad dog on it where he makes everyone in the room uncomfortable you see Stephen a's eyes during that he's just like uh you know um but here's the thing uh the I've been in some strange situations where you have to cancel shows or you come close to canceling shows. And one of the things you really got to take into consideration is when you do it, you know, and if you know, like you do have a responsibility to set up your day with a pad, you know what I mean? And the impression I get from this is like, I don't think Lionel Richie was traveling with like a traveling party. A show takes all day to set up. Anybody who is setting up gear, production, backstage, anything to make that show run was there ass early in the morning, especially at the garden, which is all union. So like if you want to go work at the garden, you're there at like five because you're not even allowed to unwrap your own fucking cords in New York City. Um, So like so that's where one part of it is, is is not true. And what I think is that he booked a a very close flight something that like 
okay, what's the least amount of time I can spend in New York City right now? I'm going to land at JFK at 6.15. This town car is going to take me to the garden by like 7.30. I'll be there for like an hour. I'll perform at 8.30 and then I'm out. And like, you know, of course, like in a perfect world, that's a decent plan. But anybody who's been traveling, touring, doing this stuff for a long time knows we are dealing with an imperfect world that does not cater to you like most of the time, you know? So, you know, I've been in this game less than Lionel Richie, and I would know to never do that. And if you are foreseeing problems, you have a responsibility at like two in the afternoon to be like, you know what, this is cutting it too close. I got to do it because you can't have people in the seats. And that's where mad dog is right. Like, you do have to consider some of this stuff, especially these days, like, you know, going into the garden for a night, like say you're a huge Lionel Richie fan from whatever, hypothetically, you're from Syracuse or something, right? And you decide to come down to the city that weekend and you spend maybe two nights for a hotel room and you do the drive and you're doing food for 48 hours and this and that and the tickets just for the show, you're in like thousands of dollars, you know, thousand plus at least. And this is what like families take to go to like Disney world and shit like this. People are taking that same money to do this. So there is that like responsibility. If someone's in the seats, that means that shit is planned and you are the event. So, you know, the, the whole thing about redeeming tickets on Monday is, is crazy. Cause who all of a sudden has a Saturday night planned and then can do the exact same thing two nights later in in the real world. So I do think mad dog had a point. I think Lionel Richie fucked up. I think he fucked up his plans. I think someone in his camp, like, like should really apologize for it. You know, like it's, it's bad. Now when Lionel Richie got on stage, he, you know, he was like apparently begging the pilot. Can you get, can you get through the wet weather? Can, can you do all, all of this stuff, which there were crazy storms. I know. Right? I'm, I've been dealing with this for the last couple months. Like I've been flying people in and out for the last couple months to come do shows. Mm. And honestly, like 75% of the time there's been problems recently. That's crazy. Like it's bad out there. Like flying is bad right now. They're, like a million delays there's a million problems they're obviously like short-staffed and overwhelmed and it's like it's not good right now so wait so walk me through how how that happens when when you're trying to get people out to a a situation when when, from first communicating to getting them on stage kind of walk me through that process because i don't think people know a lot about it as far as what getting like an artist on stage yeah 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 like like if if something special is going to happen what's what's the process well i mean it's even beyond special it's like you know the idea like let's just say gaslight anthem this is my anecdotal experience we have um people who work for the band who are not from new jersey Mm -hmm. You know, like like the idea that you're going to find a staff of touring people that you, you know, need and work with that all click, that all come from the same place in this world is like not realistic. So, you know, you go play like a one off show in a different city. You're literally coordinating. I mean, we even we have an extra guitar player who lives in Canada. <laughs> um, so even just that, you know, um, so so. I think the thing we've learned and take care of is like everybody gets in the night before, including us. 
you know, um, we just did this literally last weekend and went to Pittsburgh for a night to do one show. And we didn't arrive on Saturday because everybody knows like that's a risk and you arrive the night before and that's what we did, you know? And that's the, the other thing too, is like, this is Boston. I've gotten from Boston to New York yeah. granted not safely but <laughs> in like three to three and a half hours like it's possible yeah. if you take the right way do the right thing so that's also another thing like if you're anticipating problems you're not in like reno like you're pretty close there are other options you can pull yeah. the home alone route <laughs> and jump in a van with john candy and the polka band and, and get there <laughs> like it's possible yeah. you know my problem with it is it's like the, the, the presentation of his argument in, in the clip that we showed sounded very much just like shut up and sing, yeah. which is like, OK, like like the weather getting there. You have the responsibility to the fans. I am with you on, on all of that. I don't like the energy of oh, my dollars look. being more important than. Oh, um, you yeah. took it like a shut up and dribble take. Shut up and a little sing bit. take. Little oh, bit. Little, did, okay. Did okay. it not sound like that? I no, I could see it now that you're saying that. Yeah, there is so. like a, I, perhaps like a dehumanizing element where it's like yeah. I don't care what you're dealing with. You have this responsibility. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, yeah. I mean, and I could, Lionel should have said he was having a mental health breakdown. Boom. 100%. And then everybody would have been Sickness. chill about it. <laughs> be, listen, he he had to take some load management. Just be like, yeah. boom, I, Lionel, yeah. I have a a calf strain. I don't be like. Know. Like, well, my flight's delayed. Uh, anxiety attack. Yeah, boom, done. Yeah, Easy. Done. Everyone Over. would have loved them. You would have been more popular. <laughs> I afterwards. love it. Oh, man. oh, the 90s. It's so strange, isn't it? <laughs> All right, Benny. Another music headline today. And we're going to talk about Lizzo. I know we touched about on this a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago when, when the story first happened. But apparently Lizzo's getting some support after she en enlisted the same lawyer who took on uh, some notable Hollywood cases, such as uh, the Bill Cosby situation. Lizzo got some support from her backup dancers, the big girls and the big boys. They've gotten her back. They released a statement on social media um, talking about the uh, workplace conduct saying that they have gratitude for uh, Lizzo having diverse representation and she's championed them on inclusion and everything on her tour. They want to thank her for the experience on the special tour that wrapped in July. Uh, the dancer's appreciation comes after the all of the drama of, and her being sued by her former dancers for pressuring and weight shaming um, in, in the suit uh, to the Los Angeles Superior Court. Crystal Williams and uh, Noel Rodriguez claim that they were victim of sexual, racial, and religious harassment, assault, false imprisonment, which I, I'd love to hear more about that, and disability discrimination in addition to other allegations. So what I, I'm always interested in situations like this where you get uh, the rest of the dancers, when, when they try to make it the us versus like a, a few outliers situation here. So uh, what do you make of all this? It seems to be getting convoluted in the Lizzo versus background dancers situation. But and that may be the point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I'm still landing in the same place and it wouldn't yeah. surprise me like if a very talented PR agent or lawyer hit up one of these dancers and was like, could you guys possibly get something together? Because that would help our case. And then yeah. You can bring it to court and you can cast more doubt on, you know, the people's accusations as long as this is happening. So 
you know, when you're dealing with stuff like this with someone who's high profile as Lizzo and the people she must have employed to protect her in this, uh, all bets are off. Yeah. Gloves are dirty. Who knows at this point? So I'm kind of landing in the same spot as I did last week, where it's like, um, does it sound like something that person would do to me? No. Um, It didn't seem, you know, and also I mentioned last week that I think sometimes, uh, you know, tough management coming from a female is sometimes looked at different, you know, and sometimes it's applauded from a man and not applauded from a woman. And that could be part of this. So it's tricky, but I also don't want to sit here and say these people have no case and nothing happened to them because I just don't know. And maybe it did. Um, so I'm kind of in the same place as last week, like shoulders are shrugged. I'm not so sure. And, and we'll see how it plays out. You know, it almost seems like with these celebrities, it's almost an admission of guilt of which lawyer you hire. You <laughs> can't be going into this with the same guy that yeah. rep Bill Cosby for yeah. all of this stuff. Like, yeah, it's, it's a strange look to yeah. go Cosby. There, on this. There's so many entertainment lawyers. I mean, my God. And it's you're going to go for the Cosby lawyer. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. All it's right, like, let's ha- that's that's dancing into like uh dancing Trump with territory. wolves. Yeah. <laughs> dancing with wolves. Yeah. All right. So that which kind of leads us to the next story. So we just want to take Did Kim a- did Kim Kardashian pass the bar yet? I don't Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's going to be her next series where she just like reps all these people. Uh-huh. Uh like like father like daughter, right? All right. All right. So we just want to take a moment here, send some positive vibes to Hawaii, to Maui, to all those people. Um, and it seems like we have another global warming-ish story here uh, when, and w- when we're talking about uh, California and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, which I always love that fish come before wildlife in all these departments. <laughs> it's always that. On Friday, they it's announced... Here. Yeah. If you go wildlife and fish, sounds like an add-on, you know? A hundred percent. But they have announced that they've confirmed a new gray wolf pack in the southern Sierra Nevada mountains. Oh. I love I, I full this I I love when Benny recommends stories because I never know where they're gonna go and I just copy and paste and read it. So your guess is as good as mine where this next sentence is gonna go. I was like, what does Benny Horowitz do with this time? <laughs> well, out. I read nerdy news articles about wolves. <laughs> I love it. That's what but, happens, Benny. This is the furthest south that this kind of pack yeah. of wolves have been detected in more than a century. In July, the apartment uh, announced that. They had reports of wolf sightings in the Sequoia National Forest as well, roughly 200 miles south of the nearest known pack in Northeast California. So do you think that this, I'd be naive to say that this is just a wolf issue. This seems like more of, oh, like, you know, how you see in in the oceans where we have dolphins at the Jersey Shore now. It kind of seems like that kind of situation happening. Yeah, well, things are definitely shifting. But, you know, the thing... And I honestly, I didn't even think about that part of the argument when I sent the article, like um, the idea that, you know, with the environment shifting, animals are going to be moving to different places. But it's our job to adapt to that, you know, not to stop it from happening. And I think that's always um, the issue I run into, you know, talking with people about this is like, you know, thanks to ancient Christianity and, uh, you know, man's dominion over Earth. Uh, <laughs> the fact that we think we own these animals in this land and we're not coexisting with it. Uh, that whole concept has gotten us into deep trouble. 
and we're kind of living in it now. So <laughs> like um, I'm never one to, to say like, here's where I, I get a little crossed up is like, it's the same thing that's happening right now with a lot of bear attacks in the national parks out there and trickling out of the national parks into like places where normal people hike and stuff like that. And I know in uh, Yellowstone currently, they're at the the max population of bears they've had since they began starting to protect them way back in the day. Um, and there's talk about when do you stop protecting them? And when does it become fair game again? When you, you help the species and now it's unnatural to continue helping the species if they're doing fine. And when does the species become too powerful and then it becomes a rebalance? And I think we're dealing with that with wolves again. And it's like, uh, you know, if we're going out and thinning wolf populations because you can no longer walk your pug in the backyard and you're afraid, well, like, fuck your pug. This is Earth. You know what I mean? And like that wolf deserves to be there and your pug is not even a the natural order of the wolf. So goodbye, pug. But if, you know, the, the wolf man is walking into public parks and attacking a t-ball game or something, yeah. then, you know. Okay. Bye bye wolf. Yeah. Bye bye wolf. Like, like this is the natural order of things. So I think we're in this like kind of new spot with some of this stuff where we have to sort of reachieve that balance because some of the conservation ship has been so successful that we really have repopulated these animals. And, you know, there's a reason people wore wolves and bear skins over their heads as a sign of respect long times ago, you know, it's because they're very fucking tough animals and they yeah. kill people and stuff, you know. Um, and even as a 30 year vegetarian, I am not naive to this. Um, I actually think it'd be a pretty cool way to go out. What? Getting attacked by a wolf? Are you nuts? Getting like eaten by a bear or wolf. Dude, like <laughs> back to nature, baby. Dude, you know? Can I tell That's you? a direct way back into nature. Like, do I want to like rot in the ground yeah. and eventually become stuff? Or do I want to just get eaten, turn into shit? I'm like becoming food for everyone, you know? Like right away. Immediate impact. Five more years out in the sticks for you. You're not going to have this opinion. As somebody that grew up in the sticks, man, like the entire conversation about like regulating all of this, because like up, up, up where I grew up, the conversation about like, like bear hunts and like deer hunts, like these are like regulated things that happen all the time because obviously like the people are like pushing for it. And then the decree comes down from the state. It, it's very interesting where, you know, we talk about two Americas a lot when it comes to yeah uh, this kind of conversation. And there's like the people that have not grown up in, in areas where sometimes you, you could say that, you know, these animals be out here getting into other people's <laughs> business. And sometimes people invite the trouble on themselves when right. they go on, on, on these hikes. So it's it's there's there's people are it, it, they're like passing in the night when it comes to this conversation because right. the people that need it aren't exactly talking to the people that don't need it all the time so yeah there's a big difference between the rancher who has like 120 acres outside of yellowstone park yeah. and the douchebag who just tried to take a selfie with a black <laughs> bear or something you know like like the, the same rules don't apply right. to both of those people <laughs> Like if I'm in LA and I'm trying to go for a, a hike around four or five o'clock and the sun's start, starting to go down and I start to hear the noises and I'm you might I'm not fuck going with a cougar or something, I'm not baby. Going for the hike. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mountain lions, no joke. Gotta tell a quick anecdote about that. Please. When I was 
18, I went on a cross-country national park trip with my buddy Evan in a Hyundai accent. We show up to Glacier Park, you know, pretty, pretty gnarly park as far as like kind of stuff you can get into there. We go to the ranger station. I'm remember, I grew up in an apartment. I don't know how to do this stuff. I'm just <laughs> on a trip, basically. And the ranger says, we're like, oh, what do we need to look out for this and that? Well, he's like, you know, if you run into like grizzly bear or a black bear, you know, just cover the back of your head and neck. Most likely they'll bat you around and, and, and keep going. We're like, and he's like, and if you run into, you know, a brown bear or a mountain lion, well, <laughs> fight back. Yeah. And we're like, good idea. Should we still do this? We definitely did it. And on that same trip, literally two nights later in that park, I'm in a tent. I hear something. It is a fucking bear sniffing two feet from my face. There's fabric about that thin separating us. I lie like a board for a good five hours wide awake waiting to hear more sniffles or not until the sun comes up. Uh, so, yeah. That was that was a close one. We almost got no gaslight anthem at all. Oh man. I was almost an 18-year-old victim of a bear <laughs> attack in Montana. Dude, the all this in school growing up up there, we would have like you know, you know how like they have like fire drills and stuff like that. We would have like lockdown drills for bears because sometimes like bear, bear drills. Because like sometimes they leave the back door of the cafeteria open and the bear would mosey right on thing like he's Yogi Bear and like really try to do some. Is that where Bear Grylls got his name from? Oh, is maybe. it a take on Bear Grylls? <laughs> yeah. That's most dangerous food. I love it. All right, let's go. Let's go. This is the dangerous part about bringing this stuff. Up. I know because I'll go could, all day. We could turn this into a full-on nature podcast, yeah. and people would be like, "What happened to the music? What happened to these guys? <laughs> I like basketball." <laughs> all right. Well. Speaking of, well, there's no good transition here. Benny the Blind Side has been in the news this week. And the Blind Side. I knew it! (laughs) I know. The the 2009 film starring Sandra Bullock has come under fire after, on Monday, Michael Orr, you know, the the subject of the film and one-time NFL player, uh, came out talking about the dramatized story and asked a Tennessee court to end his legal relationship with the Tui family that was so lovingly crafted into this film. Um, and it's become a, a real controversy. Uh, apparently, according to Michael Orr, um, the family never adopted him, which I don't know if you remember the film was a bitty, which was a pretty big part of it. Yeah. Or who's 37 claimed that instead they formed a conservatorship with him after he turned 18 years of age with hello, Britney Spears. We've talked about conservative yeah. conservator ships way too much on this podcast Mm -hmm. um they said that he uh he said that he was tricked into signing an agreement to make the couple his conservators giving them authority to make his business decisions and allowing the family to profit on his life story the blind side which earned 309 million dollars just craziness apparently michael ord says that he did not receive much of that money the tui family says that he he has so um you know and watching that movie 15 years later, what's it, 2008 to or 2009 to now? Um, a lot of racial undertones that white America was very happy to just enjoy yeah. uh-huh. and give Sandra the Oscar for in 2009. So, what do you make of this entire situation? I mean, listen, I know this is a serious matter, so I don't want to like joke about it. It's like people's lives and livelihood yeah. and good names and, you know, all that stuff. But I'm also like a drummer who's a podcast host, so I kind of don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I remember watching this movie for the first time and getting kind of the heebie jeebies. 
mm-hmm. you know, just because of the general tone of some of the stuff. Like, why one scene in particular always stood out to me, which is Sandra Bullock dressed up in her fucking blazer drives that car right into the fucking hood and like confronts these people. Like, as if like, I'm like, what fucking world does that happen? You know what I mean? Like that is the biggest bullshit scene I've ever seen the way that played out. You know what I mean? There's, I don't know. It's it. And it, and as you said, it's one of those things that like white people don't realize they're very happy to watch because you can't walk like that into the projects. You shouldn't. And she does and does it very happily and calmly and confidently. And, and that gives people that like, oh, yeah, it makes them like kind of feel good. It made me feel weird watching it. I'm like, I don't know about this. This whole thing feels weird. And even though it's like a nice story, you know, every time I saw it, just because of the racial element and the class element and so many things to it, I found it squeamish. So so there's always that. And it was always like a sensitive thing to me. And I never enjoyed that movie as much as other people because of it. As far as the actual case goes, like, um, I mean, I, I feel a little bad for a lot of people involved. I don't know exactly what the case is. But one thing that seems clear is I don't like a defense that, hey, we wouldn't do anything shady with money because we have plenty of money. Huh. That is a bunch of bullshit. And if that's like the first defense you're coming up with when you're making a press statement, like, why would I have to do that? It's like, why would I cheat? I have a hot wife or like, you know, it, it's it's really a not a good argument and actually lends for someone like me who has navigated this world for a long time and seen rich people and poor people. Rich people are usually the ones who were good at fucking finagling conservatorships and being shady over time. And it's not like now that we have money, we're going to stop making money. These people are good at that stuff and they keep doing that stuff. So that as an argument is a complete piece of shit. And, you know, if you are such a well-run organization with such uh, numbers and paperwork, you should be able to quickly kind of prove your innocence with all this. Make it all public. Make your documentation public. And you can put this all to bed tomorrow, today, you know? So uh, that makes me think he has some kind of case here. You know, the fact that that was the defense right off does make me think he has some kind of case. Um, and I don't think it's as dirty as people are going to make it sound. I don't think these people's intentions were probably as, like, fucked up. You know, it doesn't seem like that either. But the fact that they took advantage and might have fucking swiped some money. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. See, I, I, I try to think back to them because I don't know if, if you remember college football recruiting in the 2008, 2009. Like this was like televised days. It was like bigger than the NFL draft, I think you could say at, at this point. So I could right. see a Mississippi couple find thinking they found a guy who was already five star on rivals and being like, Oh, we could like help this kid out financially. They were being like boosters for all miss allegedly, you know, you got to sprinkle this in there because you, you don't want to make too crazy of, of a- accusations, but we have seen this from so many schools in the years to come. I mean, look at the whole Adidas thing that happened that we've talked about a bunch. People have been doing this two young athletes for a long time. Granted, a lot of them have not gone as far as being like, Hey, we're going to make you sign legal documents. Right. And, uh, try to take some of your future earnings. Now, 
uh, apparently uh, 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 as part of proceedings, they didn't touch any of his NFL money, which is a, a great thing. But honestly, kind of losing out on the on like, exploiting his story for a feature film. Yeah, I don't know that. That's a whole other line. Yeah, and long term, I mean, and this is probably the reason this is coming out now is because maybe he's running out of his NFL money. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like he's been out for a while. Like maybe he's starting to see that oasis when he's 50 years old, that's like, Oh shit, I'm going to run out of money. You know what I mean? And like, this thing was his path to like, like, do I think this happens if like he had, you know, nothing in the future that was giving him, giving him fright. But you know, the idea that like somebody is making money off you and you're not getting a cut after a certain point is probably an infuriating thing to feel. And if that's actually how he feels, I mean, you know, this is where I'm a trusting and loving person. And the idea of like them really like doing this just to get a guy in their college didn't really occur to me, but it is reasonable yet, even though shady and uh, yeah, it makes it even more like convoluted. So I don't know. I, at first I wanted to, to brush us off as kind of like, Oh, this guy's just looking for money. But when I dig into it a little, I don't know. I think he might actually have some kind of case. And that was one of the big arguments that I, I heard as well. Apparently, he just discovered this whole conservatorship thing in 2000, like just this past February, which is, you know, and people are like, how did he not know? How can you not possibly know? Well, growth happens in, in different ways. Yeah. And the if, if the fine print and everything is good enough at, at hiding it, you can just be going along, living your life, being like, wait. It's like people get things in the mail for found money all the bleeping times so you know, 100 percent. Like, <laughs> like i actually completely believe that yeah. like and and this is coming from someone i believe that because i can almost empathize with it mm -hmm. because i'm that like i am that type of person where you could be like do you know that you've been under a conservatorship for like 10 years i'd be like what <laughs> for real yeah oh wow that's crazy <laughs> You know, like, so I, I actually do think that's possible. Like, there are different types of people in the world. Sometimes us, like, athlete, musician, entertaining types, everything we do on that side of the fence is just, what do I have to do at a bare minimum to, to make me, like, not go to jail is, like, what I do in that arena. And that's about as much time as I want to spend there. Yeah. So for people who are in, like, finance or business or you have a background in this and you couldn't imagine someone not being conscious of that, well, I could. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, it, it's... Well, well, we'll be interested to see where the story goes further. You know, we you, you hope the everything works out for Michael Orr. But you know what? Let's clean this story up and go to China. Oh, please, please, because <laughs> let's go to somebody that's even messier. Yeah. James Harden trying Ooh. to sell wine in China to apparently kids and calling Daryl Morey a liar. All right, so here's what happened this past week. James Harden, like we said, was in China, and he had this to say about his former GM. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. And that's the whole deal with, with James Harden. <laughs> Apparently everything. Now, there, there's been some crazy speculation about this story over the past couple of days. Um, apparently, one of the theories is that this all started that when Harden came to Philly, Maury was like, every Friday we're going to have pizza. 
And then the first month of uh, of of the Sixers season, there was pizza every Friday, and then apparently the pizza went away. That was oh, one theory about how this you rip can't started. pull pizza Fridays. <laughs> the other th- and more tangible theory is, is the fact that Maury got his guy, the guy that he has salivated over his entire career, has probably cost him a chance to win championships his entire career. He mm. got him to his new That's situation in Philly. I mean, if if, if Maury put... Houston came close, man. Uh, it wasn't that, a total... They were going up bomb. against those... All right, we're, we're, we're getting b- yeah. beside the point. Right. But uh, then Maury, after Harden took a, a more generous, uh, team-friendly deal last year, uh, did not pull up the Brinks truck and give him a longer-term situation this offseason. So, Benny, what do you make of, uh, of A, Harden going to China and being like, Maury's a liar... And then the rebuttal from uh, Maury being like, oh, tool, what do you want? Business. Yeah, I know I use this analogy a lot, but it's very apropos again, which is I'm watching Daryl Maury argue with James Harden and it's fucking with the Philadelphia 76ers. This is literally like watching three bullies at school fight each other. And I'm just hoping they all just like pummel each other for months and months and months. Because this could like ruin one of my biggest rivals. You know, like the way I look at it, and I was just having this conversation with dear friends, Dave and Tim Haas. You know, loyal to the Sixers. And, and I get a text Benny, do you really think the Sixers are actually like in contention next year? Because you were shocked I said that. And I'm like, yes, I do. Like 100%. If the team that goes out there next year, new coach, you know, Maxi coming into like a breakout type season situation, hard in there, in tow, still got Melton, still got Harris. You have the returning MVP of the league coming back. And then you brought in like Pat Bev and PJ Tucker. You're like, classic you know no one will fuck with these guys like you know the the vibe is going to be right you know because of that it's going to be competitive and i'm like sure like bucks are bringing back the same team boston's got this you know chris stapps experiment like who knows how that'll shake out and you know there's there's i don't see any team as like a huge cut above that squad so this is a real fucking boof by Maury, if you ask me, because regardless of the situation, like, you know, the situation and you know, the potential of this team going into it. And if you fuck up this Harden thing so bad that he starts sitting, uh, it becomes another Ben Simmons kind of distraction. Um, and Bede has kind of made some passing comments already where you're like, this experiment in Philly might be over if you fuck this up too bad. And if you did actually tell somebody you were going to do one thing and then try to pull off another thing. Yes, it's business. I understand in business, you're allowed to be a fucking liar up until a certain point, you know, like to get what you want. And he's probably being a good businessman. And James Harden is offended because he's not a businessman and he's, you know, uh, it is ironic it happened in China, though, isn't it? And and you sold 10,000 bottles of wine yeah, just like, like that. Boom. You know, that's where I'm like, there is a part of it was like, oh, we're going to drop this in China where Maury's already in, you know, yeah. maybe got some fans and then try Maury to sell a bunch fans, of stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, how much of this is just hard in like doing, you know, 
he he's never minded putting himself way far out there for like a PR stunt or trying to get himself off a team or something. Yeah. His track record, I mean, to give him credit, he'll go to any length of extremes to get what he wants. Yeah. So I think it's a messy situation. I don't like it. Um, and especially because as a basketball fan, you know, uh, if you don't sign Harden and he waits and there's not really a trade market for this guy like you want anymore, it's just another one of these bullshit situations. And now I'm talking about James Harden instead of fucking basketball again, you know? Um, so I would like this to solve itself like fairly soon, just so we don't have to keep talking about this, you know, because yeah. it, it's a very popular team a very good team and a very important player. And as a fan, I enjoy it more. If I can just watch this guy go out there and play basketball with this team at the beginning of the season, you know, see, there's, there's a few things here. I, I don't understand why Maury just doesn't give him the deal that he wants. And then you can always get off it. Like you can yeah. move most of these deals, but I, I, I wonder if, if Maury's, uh, hesitation to do that was because of the second apron in, in a new CBA that we've talked about a bunch that's going to make it uh, harder for teams to it, essentially he, he would have to give Harden his money and then you'd have like no money for mid-level guys that are the guys that help build up your championship roster that's essentially what is, is in the new CBA with this so Maury very much trying to play cards ahead but the thing that I don't think he took into account that is if this Harden thing doesn't work out your road is done, man. Like your road, your your road in the NBA. You have not won a championship with any team. This may be your last opportunity. So definitely like, your last like carte blanche opportunity. Like you got hundred percent, hundred percent. So he goes into that with with that kind of mentality. You pay the guy and then try to see how you can move off of it later. That's how the things have have been done. So I I, I think uh, there's always been a classic struggle here with Maury between ego, what he believes basketball is and uh what championship teams have done yeah no you're 100 percent right he's almost he's he's kind of tracking to be a podcast host in a couple oh, years no. maybe oh man we're the gonna ringer. have the draymond <laughs> daryl show i don't we're, know gonna, gonna he missed up. that bubble too he missed that bubble. yeah too. he's late on the <laughs> podcast bubble what's he gonna do next well i think he's gonna be fine regardless yeah. but yeah no it's a booth man and you know <laughs> take it from a nets fan this is what happens when you throw throw your satchel of coins into the James Harden bank, you know, like it gets messy. Okay. I don't know if you know this bit of an unsettling character around the team. I'm not sure if, if, if you've seen. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. Let's, let's touch on actually, no, we have a, a little bit of basketball. If you just want to get into the, the league announce it's 2023 2024 schedule we got some key dates for you here ben so let me just run through some of the headliners from thursday's announcement um the, the season kicks off october 24th los angeles lakers travel to the denver nuggets um in a incredible matchup there and then the then the nightcap you know we got to get uh, the nba on tnt crew staying up late for Phoenix at Golden State, 10 p.m. there. Um, then a, a couple other early season headlines. Victor Wembenyama makes his NBA debut October 25th against Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. A big game for Europe here. Let me tell you that. Love the NBA that. Europe stands are just going to love it. 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, then we'll get into the Christmas Day games in just a, a little bit. But uh, which one of those games most excites you in the middle of August? 
I mean, probably Wemby, just because yeah. I'm like dying to see it. You know, like I'm dying to see this happen. You know, in a real life situation against you know Luca and how this plays out. But you know, again, like I think it's going to be a little. It's the classic thing. Like as as generationally good as this guy is going to be, it's still a stretch to imagine he's going to affect winning at a serious level this season, you know, like, like it's a hard thing. Can I bring up an ancillary point to this? Please, please. I heard the most boastful Greg Popovich podcast the other day as if this guy, like, when do you get to a point where you're so beloved that you can keep being called the greatest of all time, slam down the book, no doubt about it. When you're coming off, like how many straight terrible losing seasons? Yeah. I know we gave him respect. Like I even said on this show, like three years ago, I'm like, there's no way Popovich is going to sit around and coach this team because they were that bad. But like, you know, that's a funny thing about it. But regardless, um, moving on, I thought the Nuggets got screwed. You know, for some reason, like half these games I'm looking at as usual are the same cast Lakers. Celtics, uh, Warriors, uh, too many, like too many Mavericks games for some reason. I'm like, you know, this team didn't make the playoffs and the Nuggets. I saw only getting one Sunday game as usual, getting screwed a little bit. So I think that that's in play, but whatever. I don't give a shit about the NBA schedule. Like let's, let's play it out and see what happens. They're going to change it anyway in four months when some team is bad and another one is good. (laughs) That's right. They're going to flex it out. They're going to yeah. do the NFL thing. A- any interest in talking about these Christmas Day games? Because that's yeah. a No? Okay. We'll, we'll move on Not to yet. baseball then. Not yet. All right. Not yet. All right. Yeah, Because I, I, I saw some of them, and, and I was like, oh, Christmas Day maybe. All right. Give me one. Warmer. Give me your your biggest shit Christmas game that you're like, why is this happening? Uh, why is this happening? Um, I mean, I think, you know, depending on how, how this happens, I, I, I think – Miami Philadelphia could be like uh, if, if Harden's not playing uh, Miami lost a bunch of pieces. I, I think that, that 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 could be interesting. have a nice uh, 83 to 81. Yeah. 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 1990s throwback game. 100%. <laughs> but uh, all right. Yeah. So that's kind of the like Christmas Day games. So uh, you got. Um, yeah. Like the, you got Bucks Knicks that that's going to be fun. Um, Warriors Nuggets that, that 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 will be fun. So um, I don't know for a basketball fan like me, man. I see a schedule like this, and I'm like, this is like the old guard, the old hat, you know. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of kind of you know new, ex- more exciting teams that I'd rather watch play in these situations. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, next season, I'm a little more interested. Like, give me one. Pacers game, yeah, or you know like what I mean, Minnesota, me, Orlando, like yeah, give me, give me like like give me a Memphis game like yeah. six months from now, you know, give me a little more sun. There's no Kings on this. There's no Thunder yeah. on this. Uh, yeah. You know, like none of these really interesting teams. Not to mention the Brooklyn Nets. You know, with the my Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges core. Listen, I'm so deep into the off season. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm like Cam Thomas's production next year. So I'm starting to convince myself of all sorts of things. Hey man, but I saw David Duke at Summer League. He looked good. Like, he looks good. <laughs> Darius Baisley coming David in for Duke 25 Jr. minutes David a night. Duke Jr. I got I every time I say his name, I gotta be like, I gotta say the full name because otherwise you're saying uh 
controversial historical figure, Listen, David Duke Jr. <laughs> let's touch on the Nets real quick, okay? Oh, okay? Can I say one thing about the Nets? Yeah, sure. The one thing that it's nice to watch again, now that we're completely gone from the big three era, is one of the things I grew to like about Sean Marks was taking chances on certain players in very friendly deals that actually pan out. You remember mm-hmm. Joe Harris was almost out of the league. Spencer Dinwiddie was almost out of the league. These were Nets reclamation projects that turned into like decade-long NBA careers. Um, so watching the offseason of focusing on only re-signing Cam Johnson, putting him in a bigger role, and then giving these one-year contracts to Dennis Smith Jr., Lonnie Walker and Darius Baisley, who were all useful players who could potentially have been in suffocating situations and have a little more growth with a little more room. So I don't think the Nets are coming for like a title this year. I'm wondering if we're even going to make the playoffs, but I like watching the GM doing good work again, because if one of these three pans out and you have the bird rights and you sign them on a nice deal, then you're 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 watching like team building actually come again. So that's my quick rant about the Nets. I don't think they're going to be great next year, but I am as a fan enjoying this path. We got to get out to training camp for them. I'll I'll I'll, I'll try to make that happen. All right, so please do. Please <laughs> All do. Right. Howard Beck told me he's going to introduce me to Kenny Atkinson like seven years ago. Oh, I, well. I need my in with the Nets for once. <laughs> Jesus. Oh uh, well. We'll try to get it back. All right, let's let's wrap here with a, right. a little bit of a baseball. Benny, the Los Angeles Dodgers, another fo- a, a former Brooklyn team out there on killing it on the West Coast, eleven straight wins. Um, they 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 beat the Brewers on Thursday night. Uh, they are now outscoring on. They see they, this. Is what happens when I, I copy and paste baseball stuff? And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> there's a major typo here, but. Uh, Anyway, the Dodgers had their 12th shutout of the season against the Brewers, crushing it, 11 straight wins. As of right now, you know, dog days a little bit here, but are you looking at the Dodgers as one of your World Series favorites? Yeah, I mean, you have to. I like, you know, I I think I've been seeing a lot of like, uh, you know, manager of the year stuff get tossed around. And for some reason, I'm not seeing Dave Roberts' name on this list. And, you know, granted, on the offensive side, you're Every single day, you're playing two of the top 10 players in baseball. You know, every single day when you're putting Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman out there, you have an advantage. You know what I mean? Not many teams can say they're putting two of the top 10 players out there. But to his credit, the pitching staff's been a damn mess this year. Kershaw's been in and out. Urias has just been okay. And then after that, you you know, you've got Tony Gonsolin. Hudson's been hurt. Uh, They trade for Lance Lynn. They bring up Bobby Miller from the minors, all these other injuries. You know, Walker Bueller has been coming back all season. He's actually throwing a little bit, so they might get him back for the playoffs. But I think the Dodgers have been a really impressive team uh, because it hasn't been a consistent thing, especially on the pitching side. It's been super patchwork, and I'm impressed with the management. I think they've done a really nice job. Um, so I don't think the Dodgers are necessarily like the team to beat at this point because of a lot of different reasons. Um, I would still say the Braves are, you know, the, the massive team in the NL that's going to be real tough to get through. And then when you're going into the AL, you know, you're starting to 
get back to the Astros and the, you know, the upstart Orioles and like, you know, who's going to come out there. So I'm not going to say that the Dodgers are my full on favorite right now, but impressive team to watch. And I got to be honest, just as a shitty Yankees fan, it's so much fun to watch Mookie Betts just be so great <laughs> every day with another like like what a classic Babe Ruthian boof that was <laughs> just letting that dude walk out of town. Oh, that was going to be your Joe DiMaggio. I don't know why they did that. Terrible, terrible, terrible. All right. Real quick be, before we get out of here, 30 seconds on the Yankees being around 500 at this point in, in the season. Oh, uh, damn mess. This team really fell apart. I mean, I, I don't know how you could how you could frame it in 30 seconds, but like, you know, technically they still have a you know small percentage chance of getting in. But some of these moves have just really, really boofed so hard. I mean, Radone right off the bat, Frankie Montas, people forget we even traded for it for how little uh he's produced. You're seeing these Josh Donaldson and Rizzo's and all these guys coming in and out of the lineup, mostly being hurt, not really helping. Stanton hitting 200. It's it's a terrible season. The only thing you can really take away from it is watching some of the relief pitchers shine and uh, watching Anthony Volpe doing some pretty interesting things out there. But it's it's ugly in Yankees land, and uh, I'm already getting to that. It's it's not a normal feeling by August 18th for me to be going like, well. You know, I guess let's think for next year, but that's where my head's starting to go. And I don't have much of a choice to be there. I mean, what realistically, like, even if the Yankees go on a run right now, they have to go on a historic fucking run to get anywhere near it. I mean, they're currently 13 games back from the Rays, who are the first wild card team. And then you're sitting at, you know, the Astros with 70 wins as the second wild card team. And the Yankees are 60 and 61. With a negative 14 run differential, they've lost five in a row. They have a two and a half percent chance to make the playoffs. So looking grim in Yankees land, my friends, looking grim. Let's well, get the kids up. Let's get the kids up. Let's, let's start, up. Let's start right. to take a look, you know? Well, if you want to take a look in our inbox, it is at the tune-up, uh, excuse me, that the tune-up podcast at gmail.com, two P's in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, it is at the tune-up HQ on Twitter, X. TikTok, that that just doesn't roll off. I know it sounds like I'm saying we're Tune Up HQ on Ecstasy. No, we're on Twitter. The artist formerly known as uh, TikTok, Instagram, you know the deal. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. Plenty of good stuff happening over there. Uh, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz on Instagram. I'm at Denny Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? You ever done Ecstasy, bro? Oh, the show has ended. Go in peace. <laughs> You've been listening to and watching the Tune Up. <laughs>